0: or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and cartoonist with Mississippi Today you know it's airing on MPB television this Friday February 17th at 7:30 p.m. It's it's a new film it's The Defenders how lawyers protected the movement and it showcases the bravery and determination of the state's African American lawyers during the civil rights movement and their frontline work to represent the individuals those names that you hear in class the heroes of the civil rights movement it protected them and just average uh, African American Mississippians as well who were either unjustly charged or imprisoned so today I have the honor and I mean the honor to sit down with the very creative, uh, films director and writer Roderick Redd, producer Liz Evans, who will be here in just a minute, and producer and writer Sarah Campbell to discuss what inspired them to participate in the project and the importance and impact on today's society. Uh, welcome to the show. And I got to say, when I first heard the title, The Defenders, I went straight to Marvel, right? You know, cause I'm thinking, okay, superhero movie. But you know, you think about it, it was a superhero movie because you had three, three superhero lawyers. Fighting overwhelming odds, holding the fort until literally backups came, which is exactly what happened. It would make a fantastic Marvel movie. Just to let you know, I, I don't know. I guess you can that, probably
1: that I, was the inspiration behind it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm a big comic book fan, so okay. Um, yeah, we were we were we were chugging at the bit, trying to figure out the perfect name for this. Yeah, and we knew it was like it was like on the tip of our tongues for like the longest time. But when I when I got it, I got it, and I was like, oh, it's perfect.
0: Yes, yeah, I, I could totally see um r jess brown wearing a cape <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah definitely on that um uh, well i mean both of you sarah fantastic it, i watched it twice already i'm probably going to watch it again with my son um just really tells a part of history that maybe you know and, and i'd like to think because of what i do or because i've been in mississippi for a long time that i knew every little bits and piece but there were a lot of stories in there that i had never heard before and and really thank you for doing this documentary
1: Thank you for, for watching it. It's just awesome to see people really gravitate towards it. People have really been um, – I'm surprised sometimes at just how well people uh, have taken a liking to it. But yeah. also I recognize how important these stories are. And uh, if it was fascinating to me, then obviously it should be fascinating to other people.
0: So, well, let's give everybody kind of the quick elevator pitch of what it's about.
1: Yeah, so the defenders um how lawyers protected the movement is basically uh, a story about uh three uh black civil rights lawyers um in the state of Mississippi that you know little people know about um are just Brown, Carsey Hall and um uh, uh Jack Young Um, They were uh, self-taught lawyers who passed the bar in Mississippi. And they kind of had to be. And they had to be because they couldn't go to law school in Mississippi. And so uh, a lot of their names are on the pleadings for major civil rights cases in the state of Mississippi because in the state of Mississippi you had to have a Mississippi lawyer um, on the docket. And so um, when these big organizations came to Mississippi to help uh, them, uh, you know, uh, NAACP, you know, um, and other organizations, they worked with these lawyers, you know, and they also work with legendary people like Megar Evers and, and, and things of that nature. So they, they all the legal stuff kind of went through these three lawyers. Right. And almost nobody really knows about them, which was so fascinating. Which we, and also was why, um, uh, Judge Fred Banks and Judge um, uh, Ruben Anderson yeah. uh, really fought to commission this documentary because they knew about these guys and they were the heroes and they really wanted other people to know about just how important and impactful these three men were.
0: Yeah, and and they realized that time was relentless. Mm-hmm. You know, Sarah and I were talking a little bit about that in the green room. Um, Just talking about how that generation's voice is starting, time is starting to to squelch it. I'm I'm so glad that y'all were able to get this project not only off the ground, because you're doing it also in the middle of a pandemic, which is not easy to do when you're dealing with people that possibly have been shut up for about a year and a half in in their house. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, literally, you know, you said Ruben and Fred both, um, which... you know like i said i knew about them and i know their history and i love talking to both of them but to hear them on this this documentary is so incredibly powerful telling the stories um, there was one with ruben where he said you know talking about what the judge said to him called him the n word i'm just like how could anybody call that man anything but a nice word you know it just blew my mind
2: yeah we felt really privileged to be part of the project um, but it was the brainchild of ruben yeah. anderson and fred banks and in fact from their roles with the Foundation for Mississippi History and on the Board of Trustees at the Mississippi Department of Archives and History, they championed this project and raised money for it. Um, And we had major support from Butler Snow and from other individual attorneys and people who believed in the project, which was critical for us to be able to then, as the Foundation for Mississippi History, commission Red Squared, because it it took not only the research and the um, expertise of the department in finding the archival footage and finding the, the historical material, right. but it also took the team that Rod has um, his director of photography, uh, Sarah Caroline Jones, uh, his editor, Neha Sharma, and just also their creative and and young. Uh, energy and outlook on this, um, and Rod and I uh, sometimes would get into discussions. You know, I come from a book writing background. I come from the historical background. I'm going to write something really long, and Rod is reminding me we've got 40 minutes, and we're speaking to young people. Yeah, and you have to make it relatable. Um, and so there were there were ways in which the partnership brought out the best in both of those things it he was uh running lead on the contemporary interviews we interviewed congressman thompson we interviewed marion wright edelman of course mm-hmm. justice anderson and banks constant slaughter harvey and we needed to pull those stories out of them so we had to have all the background information yeah. you know to do that and that's where the research came into it
0: yeah how did you get hooked up with roderick and, and that team how did you decide to use them more, well, they- Roderick
2: and I have known each other for um, over a decade. Okay. Um, in fact, um, I went to school with his father. And so I knew him, uh, you know, as a kid um, in college, and I knew that he had gone out on his own and formed a production company. And we had worked together earlier on a couple of commercial projects, some some corporate PR, some social media, you know, all the, the the things that he was doing when he had his first had his company, um, but we basically put out a request for proposals. Yeah, and his proposal came in. He came in and talked to the judges. He showed them some uh, documentary work that he had done, and we decided to go with him. And and we're we're thrilled with the product.
0: Roderick, you're you're a little bit younger than I am, and <laughs> I, you know, and and so I have faint memories of some of. You know when it, things were changing, and when things went from the you know because in the sev- early seventies, so I remember that. But the way that you set this up, and I think visually, it, you know, you're talking about how people are now are visual and they they like short. There were some things in there that really caught my. Eye. I think number one of them that was really incredibly strong was using locations and, and archive footage from that are still recognizable, like the fairgrounds or like downtown Jackson and so forth. And it's so chilling to be walking on those spaces and realize that, you know, sheer pure evil happened on those very things. And I think that made it incredibly powerful. And also, too, there was one time when Fred Banks was talking about something and you held the camera on him just long enough after he finished, where he kind of looked up and you could tell that whatever he had just said had really upset him. And it was just really powerful. You realize that what we're talking 50, 60 years now later, that this still deeply affects both of, of all the people that were involved in the interviews.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Uh, this this is a very Mississippi-centric uh, documentary, yeah. so uh, we really wanted to make it that. And as we were going through the archives and pulling footage to showcase, you know, the city of Jackson and just Mississippi in general. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, and then again, shout out to the Mississippi Department of Archives and History, and, and the specifically the WLBT archives. Yeah. So thank God for those archives because they kept everything. And it was great because we were able to. Go look and find images of the city, but we really wanted to tell that story to make sure we knew that if people in Mississippi would really be able to appreciate. You know, people like you. Like that right. Know who those different areas are and know who those people were. And, you know, it ended up resonating even in places outside of Mississippi, you know. It's also played in Atlanta and the Atlanta, you know, Morehouse Human Rights Film Festival and on, on WABE and the public broadcasting station too. So they really love it. And we've got to travel around with it in D.C. And, you know, uh, it's so, it's so interesting when I get to travel uh, with, this documentary and being from Mississippi still yeah. You know, Mississippi has that reputation in other places of being basically what we put in that film. Sometimes even today. Right. Um and you know, I get you know, people are looking at me like I'm like a like a champion of, like, <laughs> of, of civil rights right now. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, like, how did you get away with making that film in Mississippi? I was like, it wasn't, wasn't that difficult. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. You know, but, you know, but it's great, though. We, we, you know, we really wanted to make it a Mississippi
0: film. I think what makes it work so well is that, and, I, and there was a scene where R.J. Brown's talking about, he's quoting a Lanier teacher when he says, he who knows nothing of the past has no understanding of the present and no conception of the future. So that's what makes it so important for, you know, for, way out. I felt like, okay, I really needed to hear some of the message that they were saying.
2: What was really interesting um, in listening to the judges even reaction, um, they did not know that we had Jess Brown's voice. They didn't know that we had uh, a little snippet of footage from him on video. And so it was for them kind of a, a, a chance to catch that voice again. Yeah. And you know, Rod mentioned the WLBT film footage collection. We also had a recording from a conference at Tougaloo College that was held oh, wow. in 1979. Yeah. And it was uh, looking at uh, 15 years after Freedom Summer, and they brought all the, the lawyers back to talk about it. So we had Carsey Hall's voice, and we had Jess Brown's voice from that, and that's yeah. where that Lanier history teacher quote um, comes from. But we also had the Medgar and Murley Evers collection, which yeah. is um, at the archives. We had the Richard Beadle photography collection. We had um, papers from Aurelia Norris Young, who's Jack Young's wife, and she – wrote to him when she was outside the state, and he wrote back, and she kept all of his letters. And that's how we know how he felt about yeah. being a black lawyer rep in the 50s in Mississippi and what that was like. And, and so I think that's some of the power of this documentary is that we know some of the basic outlines of the civil rights story, right. but it's really in these details. It's really in the sense that um, you know Medgar Evers said the only time he felt safe was at home. home. Um, So that was, um, there is a lot of material in the archive that if we go back and look at it, we can tell these stories. Um, And and one of the most important things for us was to keep it at a length that it could be used in classrooms. You mentioned showing it to your son. We wanted 40 minutes so that A teacher can show it and then you can talk about it Um, and it is available to any teacher who wants to use it in that way. Because it's so important for the generation that is coming along now to know what it took to get us to where we are.
0: Definitely. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. I'm back with the filmmakers. It's the new film, The Defenders, How Lawyers Protected. The Movement, Um, it is going to be on this Friday on MPB-TV. Of course, we've got with us in studio today, we've got Roderick Redd, Liz Evans, who's now joined us, and Sarah C. Campbell. Liz, welcome to the show. It is so good to see you. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Marshall.
0: Now, I I heard from uh, a very. I guess reliable source that you were really involved in the interviews and that had to be pretty special to be able to sit down and talk with the people that were in this documentary because there, there was a lot of royalty in there, but there was a lot of really good folks too.
3: Yes, indeed. Um, Being able to be a part of the interviews was definitely a a milestone for me, a life changing moment. Um, I've heard about these people, you know, I've read about them and to be in their presence and able to hear their story from them, um, the value that it lent Just really sitting there listening to like The stories about their lives being in danger You yeah. know The reality of the experiences that they went through So that we could have the future You know that we have The present that we have today But the future um, To have that level of foresight at their age It's like they were young adults Making these decisions um it was just. It was definitely moving and life changing.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about well, how much courage I had in my mid twenties. I didn't. I had none whatsoever. You know, like I said, um, and there were little touches in the film that, like you said, that really took it from just being text in a history book to being, oh, these are real human beings that are dealing. Like, oh yeah, just hop in the car, throw in a sandwich because you couldn't eat anywhere because nobody let you in to go eat. So my, you know. Wife picked packed a sandwich through a typewriter in because you never know when, when you might need that. And then, you know, it's just fascinating, just the little things, the inconveniences, the horror that people had to live through on a daily basis.
1: And I got to say, too, the interviews, one of the best parts about the interviews was being able to not only talk to those folks and get those stories, but also being able to relate to those folks. Yeah. There's not a lot of uh, opportunity we get as black people to be able to tell our own stories. Right. And so uh, I knew they thought it was important that this was led by a black director and we had a black producer. And, you know, Sarah also produced it with us who has an extensive history in civil rights. through her sister and family and stuff like that. But it was really good to be able to talk to these folks and really Get stories like Liz, you know, she got to uh, interview um, uh, Constance Slaughter Harvey, who was oh, her yeah. alma mater, Tougaloo College. And, you know, Miss Slaughter Harvey just was not going to talk to you <laughs> like she was not like she was <laughs> not. An, and, and the only reason she talked to us was because Liz was there and was a Tougaloo alum and she could, we sounded like her grandchildren. You know, nice. we, we were we were familiar to her, so we talked yeah. to her. And you know, had we been a you know Hollywood group of folks that came to do this documentary, she just would have been uh, you know uh, she should have pulled us away. Why? So,
0: why is that? I mean, was there something maybe in the past where she was doing she didn't just didn't feel comfortable? It was
1: probably just that general, probably just a general distrust of. Uh, of white people probably and and, and, yeah. and just people people with general huh. mistrust from people that aren't from the state mm-hmm. and people you know a lot of folks didn't believe I was directing this film too sometimes too so they would they, they would try to figure out who's the white person behind this film who's really doing this thing and so being able to say that I was a director and also talk to them and get these stories from them and, and that that also added a level of comfortability from them too right, right. that's how we were able to get them to be so relaxed because they were like it's like talking to People that you know, like like family.
3: So. I I think that um, the participants definitely capitalize on the opportunity to connect their history with the next generations and the people who are here in Mississippi. Me being um, having attended Tougaloo College and being able to listen to the archival uh, recordings that we had that yeah. took place in in these halls that I, you know, I was walking on at one point. um, I think, you know, they just realized the value in making sure we tell that story, especially in, you know, uh, the political environment or just the societal environment that we're in right now. It's important to have those stories from those individuals right now because we need them. Um, And so I think that was definitely an aid in the entire interview process, just being able to connect and capitalizing on, oh, not only do... You want to hear my story, but you care, and you want to perpetuate it. You want to make sure that, you know, more people know what we did and what happened and how it affects Mississippi today and in the future.
0: I think you really touched on something really important there on the context, and, and it's important, and I'll just tell you a quick personal story. When I first became a cartoonist in Mississippi, which, you know, I mean, I grew up in Atlanta, but that's not the South. That's Atlanta, right? So anyway, I grew up in Atlanta. I came here, and, you know, it took me about six months to really figure out Mississippi, you know, and, and thankfully I worked with really good people who covered it for a long time that helped me, you know, keep from making too many bad mistakes. There was a guy named Dr. Uh, Reverend Bass. He would call me all the time and he would cuss me. He would cuss me. He called me every name. I was the white, blue eyed devil. That's what he called me and then i thought what why is he being such a jerk about my work you know and everything else and then i realized oh no he grew up at a time when the cartoons weren't exactly very uh and and, and that gave me a little bit of context and a little bit of understanding and and i felt the same way watching the interviews that because they because you had people that were brave enough to stand up or whatever reason because they liked you or they trusted you or whatever and were open up their heart a little bit. I have a little bit more context now. When I read things now in history, I understand the humanity behind it. I don't know. That, I think that's a true value of this documentary.
3: I completely agree. Well,
1: yeah, most definitely. And there was it's actually still, there's so, so much behind each one of those interviews too, man. Let me tell you, like listening to R.J. Brown. And you know, what he said in the documentary about different stuff, like they were they were so used to kind of moving through that time and era that they wouldn't showcase their real feelings until they were like yeah. all the way home with their buddies, everything was off I bet. and so you really got their real feelings through the stories that other people told about them. In those secure places, because you know, even with Just Brown in the documentary, he's talking about his life being in danger. Yeah. He's on, he's like playing down his life being in danger on TV in front of all the people because he knew that I need to play my life down. I need to. Well, need yeah, to play you don't, you don't yeah. want to encourage it, exactly, yeah. exactly. And you were thinking, like, watching this, like, does he really believe that? Is he really? But it was like, no, nah, he didn't believe that because if you hear the stories about him later on. You know, you, you get the real context from it. So, man, they, even through the interviews where you get them to open up, there was still back in the day, those folks, they didn't open up to anybody. They were, yeah. you know, they, it was real. And that carries over through generation, right? And so, that's where that's where Miss Slaughter Harvey gets it from. And yeah. she, you know, yeah. that her grandma and them didn't talk about, you know, we don't talk about this for people we don't know. And so.
0: Well, it's very similar to maybe a Marine who stormed the beach in the mm-hmm. Pacific, doesn't it? You know, because number one, the person you're talking to doesn't understand. And number two, you maybe just don't want to talk about it because it brings up you know exactly. a lot of pain as well because of that trauma. So, exactly. um, but so I'm so glad they did as well. Um, you know, like I said, you know, you talk about Corsi Hall and, and R. R. Jess Brown and Jack Young, and you think about that. Here it was the early '60s. There were 900,000 African Americans in the state of Mississippi, and you had three lawyers. That's and on top of that, you had the and they were going up against laws that were specifically set up to discriminate, mm-hmm. and they had. I mean, talk about feeling like literally the on you're holding an outpost until the cavalry can arrive, and that's kind of what they did.
2: Yeah, and Marshall, we had that conversation with some of them. We said, "How could you believe in the law mm-hmm. as attorneys um, then?" And Rod said something interesting too. The amount of material that we gathered is vast compared to what you actually see in that 40-minute documentary. And so just like the 1979 conference was captured at Tougaloo, all these interviews in full will be in the archives at the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. So if you want to hear all the things that Constance Slaughter Harvey told us or if you want to hear all the things that Fred Banks told us or Reuben Anderson, Congressman Thompson – people will be able to um, hear that, and that is another um, trove now of research material that other filmmakers and other scholars will have access to in the future
0: yeah Roderick was talking earlier about how the younger generation consumes things and and, you know and i was just thinking i love front one things i like about frontline for instance watching their programs is because they put the whole hour-long interview online so i would say a good bit of what you're doing is you you can be accessible online of course and so forth breaking it i mean breaking it into little Bits and pieces too on yeah. TikTok and so forth. Well, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not only just the forty minutes; it's also little bits and pieces on it. But um, and like I said, visually and Robert, where you did really well on it. And if you're talking about lynching, which is such a you know a term that you don't really think about, and then suddenly you see them pulling somebody out of the water, that's pretty powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, the imagery was super important to this documentary, so we we struggled with that a little bit. We talked about being able to show that on camera. I know Liz was going—you were fighting against it a little bit, if I remember correctly.
3: You know, know, um, I just wanted to be cognizant of, like, making sure things were trauma-informed, but the reality is that this is our reality. You know, the past is a reality, and you want to make sure you're being authentic, and it's no way to be authentic about the history of this state and sugarcoat things like that's just not reality. Right. Um, and so I think it was really important to make sure that our imagery, the hard work of everyone um, just kind of played out and connected those words with what you actually felt and saw in those moments when we were listening to those um individual speak and share their stories
0: yeah i mean i'll go back to fred like i said fred banks which i'm calling him by the first name probably fairly disrespectful but I'm, that's my editorial cartoonist in me but anyway um i have so much respect for him and his career and everything that he's done but like i said to see him get moved and, and to hear Ruben anderson talk about that he had to carry his diploma with him yes. just to prove that he was a lawyer mm-hmm. oh my god mm-hmm. you know it's Reuben Anderson. I mean, literally an icon and a pillar in this whole community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like you're walking around with like um just just like microaggressions all day long. Yeah, sort a reminder of like what's being black, but it also reminds me like how much more they had to do that back in the day. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? like I you know I'm black now, but it's not even nearly as tough as it was back then. But I definitely can see how they did that and and still moved around normally. And I and one of the things that I always tried to do with this documentary is showcase. You know, you know the reality of Mississippi and just how unique Mississippi is. Yeah. Mississippi is so unique without racism. You know they always talk about Mississippi as a microcosm of the United States, and it kind of is. But like we're very special here. Like we, you know, we had that iron curtain up, and I think it was just genius when you talk about you know, Snick and and and, and uh, Freedom Summer and their plot behind. You know, putting Mississippi out there was to the show how Mississippi was, by putting pretty little white people in front of the lines and letting Mississippi do what they do to them white folks so the rest of the world can see, you see this? You see what? That was genius. It really showcases like, just how unique Mississippi is in there and just there does not really want to change. Mm-hmm. It's not even that we're, like, you know, it was, like, evil, but it was evil because they're just hard-headed. We're still hard-headed. You know, we last because we're hard-headed, Right. We live in our own little world and we you know we do our own little stuff and you know the country you know progresses by us and passes by us, and everything sounds crazy outside of here, but then you go other places and you go, wow, this is public transit and and, and you know resources and big companies and money and you're like, oh and Mississippi's like I don't care about any of that we just want to keep <laughs> what we got going on here happening and it's fascinating so um
0: i I thought too, and I thought you know like I said I've Read how many books about the civil rights movement. I've talked to people, I've interviewed people. I've always found it fascinating, and I thought it really did a good job explaining that that any nonviolence breaking laws or anything like that, they weren't breaking laws to break laws. They were breaking laws that were specifically targeted at discrimination. It was there was so much method behind everything that went on, and it was it really did a good job in that explaining it. You know, like I said, you Lawyers, generally, you think, oh, it's lawyers, you know, which, you know, right next to media people, usually pretty low on the – these guys truly were superheroes and what they did. I love – like I said, go back to the title. I thought it was, it was great having like a Marvel kind of title on it because what they were doing um, – not only were they helping people that were falsely accused or whatever they were dealing with, but they were also helping change the, the environments you were talking about. Um, and it's amazing that it did change.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, it took a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And and one of the the things that was important about Mississippi was that as the NAACP and nationally was trying to look for test cases and ways to um, bring, um, make the country live up to its promise of full citizenship rights. There were plenty of opportunities in Mississippi because the segregated system was so tightly locked down and everyone was in lockstep, the business community, the legislature, the um, the church, the media, then it was really difficult to get people to step up and say, I will be the one who will test that case. Right. Then you didn't have the lawyers because you had, had a segregated system yeah. and you weren't educating lawyers. And so you had the law that you had to have a lawyer representing you. So if Thurgood Marshall is going to come in here or Constance Baker Motley or Jack Greenberg or someone is going to come and represent, they had to have these local lawyers. Right. But you're right that it wasn't just a matter of doing the regular everyday lawyering work. There were strategies, there was figuring things out from the perspective mm-hmm. of what can we get? You know, what's possible here? How do we do this? And One of the reasons that there are so many Supreme Court cases that establish things like voting rights, school desegregation, public accommodation, um, prisoners' rights, are because Mississippi provided that material, and with the lawyers coming in from outside the state – working with the the homegrown lawyers and, and we've talked about Jess Brown, Carcy Hall and Jack Young, but also Fred Banks and Reuben Anderson yeah. were started their careers in sixty seven and sixty eight. So that's before the sixties are over, homegrown black lawyers educated at law schools, Howard and University of Mississippi, who could take up the mantle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fertile ground for changing not only Mississippi, but the nation.
0: Well, was very brilliant, too, to see the strategy of being able to take cases out of state courts and then throw them into federal courts. That was brilliant, because that was, a, that was a big part of what was able to create the change.
1: I mean, you, you still see that today, right? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, you know the the way things work in Mississippi is that you got to go around the state. Yeah. And you know even when you go around the state, the state still gets upset when the federal government comes in and does what you're supposed to do because you know usually, like you said, these test cases came through Mississippi. They were like these hard fought cases in Mississippi, and then once they got to the federal level, people at the federal government were like, right? What? Yeah. <laughs> get out! Get out of here! <laughs> right. No, you can't make people shop at your you know <laughs> store. Get out of here! You know. Yeah. And so yeah, it's it's a shame that it's still. But it's good for historical context to know that it's still going on today, even with the water crisis and things like that. The federal government comes in and the state is still like,
3: mm. I think also um, an example of well, the documentary is, is like a testament of the importance of community and grassroots work. Yeah, excuse me, grassroots work, um, because you do have these attorneys who are defending literally practically every black person in the state and subsequently in the nation, but also the importance of community helping them in their efforts, like doing that, uh, the organization organizing, you know, rallying in secret, helping, you know, making themselves, um, almost pawns in a way so that the attorneys could make the work happen. I think that is super important and it's reflected in what's happening today, uh, between the here in Mississippi, between the water crisis here in Jackson Mm -hmm. and just across the state, like realizing that, yes, we can't just rely on our awesome attorneys. Mm -hmm. We gotta, you know, do the community work as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um I know like I said more things cha- more uh, more things change the more they stay the same. I think so. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's something on that as well. A little bit. Like I said, was there anybody that you interviewed Liz that that surprised you or inspired you or just said, you know, this is somebody that is firing me up to make me want to do better or cuz I mean there there were some pretty in- incredible interviews in the
3: Oh, wow. Um, I can't pick a favorite. (laughs) But I will say that uh, speaking with Constance Slaughter Harvey was definitely moving um, just to know the threats that they all endured, you know, face and how you had to have an extremely, I can't even imagine, unimaginable amount of faith in what you were doing in that moment to know that this might have a change on this state or on the people that I, you know, represent and I serve or the world. That is extremely empowering. And they had... Each individual had an amazing amount of faith in what they were doing. And I don't think that would have registered with me at their age or in that time when they were doing that work. Like, this is world-changing work that we're doing. yeah. And um, I think it was inspiring from each individual.
0: I thought Mel Leventhal's quote was, it's all about uh, coalitions. You must have friends uh, when you're mm-hmm. outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really strong, too, because it was, um, you know, like I said— of course, it also he he was mean from the context that they came in to do the work, and it was nice to have the people from the inside being able to help them, but also too, when you know that you 're not alone when you 're trying to change the world, I would imagine probably exactly. helped a lot yes. too as well so
2: well and Rod, I remember when we were in Washington interviewing Marion Wright Edelman mm. and some of the things that we talked about after that interview. Do you remember? Um, yeah. Just learning about her role World in everything in yeah. Head Start and yeah.
1: in the truth is, these, these, yeah, all these lawyers had these. Uh, you know, the thing, the big thing. I can't pick a favorite interview either. Yeah, but I can pick that. I can say that each one of these lawyers, it, it was incredible. Whether it was Judge Banks or, or Anderson or Judge, you know, Sara Harvey or uh, uh, whoever, Marion Wright Edelman. Each one of these people weren't just like regular people. Right. They were extraordinary. And Marian Wright Edelman really helped cap that off. Yeah, you know, she inspired Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, the person everybody is inspired by. Dr. King writes about her, and she starts the Head Start program wow. in Mississippi. Yeah. you know that that's crazy. You know that's massive. She came to Mississippi in the late fifties, early sixties ish. You know, as a black woman, as a lawyer um, from Yale Law School from Atlanta, and was practicing law. You know, in in the courtroom. Where, imagine being a little black lady from Atlanta, yeah. coming to Mississippi to practice law, in the courtroom of Mississippi in the '60s,
2: in front of Harold in, Cox. In front of Harold
0: yeah, right. Cox. Harold Cox
2: in that in that
0: courtroom I was talking about with the mural. Exactly, <laughs> that, but they, that was but like, yeah.
1: She's a like, black woman. Everybody yeah. in that room was white and looking at her like, what is like to be a black woman in that time in Mississippi was wild. You know, she gave you know Hillary Clinton her first job at the. You know, you know the Children's Defense Fund, which is a huge nonprofit, and you know, still doing excellent work today. Like she said, started the Head Start, you know, uh, that I benefited from as a kid. You know, I got to go get free dental care and things like that. You know, things that impacted me. She did a long time ago, and um, that that was just extraordinary. You talk about, you know, and obviously, you know, Judge Fred Banks and Reuben Anderson—they're the first and second Supreme Court justices, and and you know. It, it just it goes on and on, you know. Constant Slaughter, Harvey desegregated the, you know, the Mississippi public, um, uh, uh, the the highway patrol, highway mm-hmm. patrol, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, it's just like, who? It, it, and people don't even know who these people are. Why are there streets named after these people? Yeah, why are exactly. there like buildings named? There's some, some of them got some buildings named after, but it's like. You know, the, the, we, we're doing this and we still have the Ross Barnett Reservoir. <laughs> well, I
0: think, like I said, the beauty of the documentary, and we're going to take a quick break after this. The beauty the of the documentary is it humanizes the situation and mm-hmm. it allows people um, that, you know, this is stuff that they just read in the history books. It mm-hmm. becomes real. It yeah. becomes real and it becomes very human. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. I'm back with the filmmakers, a new documentary. It's coming out this Friday on MPB television. It's called Defenders, How Lawyers Protected the Movement. We got Roderick Roderick Redd, Liz Evans, and Sarah Campbell are with us. We're getting the band back together. I don't know if y'all have seen each other much since. How long has it been since you you wrapped and got everything finished?
2: We premiered the documentary at the mississippi civil rights museum a year ago okay and then rod and i have been traveling around the state um and we've seen each other a fair amount the reason that we're all so happy to see liz is that she moved out of state and so wow
3: where where uh, are you now liz Where? Houston. Texas. Houston. Okay, excellent. What part? God, just. Um, I'm in the midtown, downtown. Nice, here, yeah. very
0: good. Yeah, I lived lived in Conroe for a little bit. Oh, I can man. tell you some stories. It was, <laughs> it, it was a fascinating time in my life. But anyway, um, well, good. Welcome back home. Of
3: course, of It's course. good to have Thank you, you back.
0: And like you said, you were traveling around to the different film festivals, you know, and having to go through security with all the medals and awards and all <laughs> that stuff. It had to be difficult.
1: Yeah, it was, it was so difficult. God.
0: It was yeah, we've
2: been thrilled by the reaction. It's really yeah. nice. It's oh, very well done. To you have know. people. Yeah. Want to show it? Uh, mm-hmm. It showed recently. Um, the Mississippi Bar Association has a lecture named after Evelyn Gandy, the Evelyn Gandy oh, Lecture yeah. Series that Constance Slaughter Harvey is involved with uh, mm-hmm. founding, and uh, they recently showed it uh, as part of professional development. So mm-hmm. it's it's getting around.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's excellent. And like I said, very well done. Um, the music was fantastic in it too.
1: Man, look, the uh, I got
2: the work score.
0: With a
1: friend of mine, who uh, Brendan White and a yeah. Fairview Sound. He had a fantastic job. So he, he he's a, a prolific musician. First film he's ever scored. Really, I knew he could do it because he you know played several instruments and and he, he really took my vision down and really gave it that old Matlock feel, you know, um, <laughs> the lawyerly feel. But he did yeah. great, he did a great job with it.
0: So, that Matlock feel. <laughs> See, now you're way too young to be. You're going to be, just, I'm, I'm, gonna be dropping some murder. Sp- yeah, murder she wrote. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm at
1: the sweet spot. I'm a, I'm a true millennial. So I remember life before cell phones. Oh yeah, and then I remember life after. Like, clearly, it was like the first 12 years of my life. There were no cell phones, and you know, grandma's house had you know, uh, the stories on, and you know, Matlock. And my mom's from Greenwood, and my dad's from Port Gibson. So I really got that. I'm like the last of my kind of really got a true Mississippi upbringing. All the stuff you remember, I remember too. And like, yeah. my kids ain't going to know nothing about this. So.
0: Yeah, well, I'm of the age now where I'm not remembering anything anymore. So, But, yeah, you, um, there was actually a good Saturday Night Live skit, which you don't usually get to say that too often these days. <laughs> but they were talking about they were doing like a game show, and they were doing really old cultural references, and everybody mm-hmm. got them. But then when they were doing new stuff because of the phones, nobody has the same – there's no water cooler mm-hmm. talk anymore. Now, we mm-hmm. could talk Super Bowl, obviously mm-hmm. that happened. But, but, yeah, it's on that. The sponsors on this, like I said um, – you know, you had Reuben Anderson and Fred Banks. They kind of said, OK, it's time. we got to get this done. Time's working against us. Um, we need to get these voices down and so forth. But then when it's like, OK, got to make this, and these things aren't done for free. But you had, I mean, like I said, having Butler Snow as a title sponsor, that's... Pretty impressive. Yes, that
2: they, that, that
0: they wanted the state's legal history to be told too, which I thought was really impressive.
2: Right, they stepped up and they gave some money when when we really needed it. Um, Mike Moore helped. Yeah. Um, several of the other lawyers contributed, um, as you said, the Barksdales. So I saw
0: Vangela Wade, which I've you know, I'm yes, known for a long yes, time. Yes, and
2: Victor McTeer, yeah. and they're uh, just a, a. But what we needed to do was raise enough money that we could afford to hire the production. Um, And so we raised over $50,000 through the Foundation for Mississippi History. And that's really not enough to make a documentary, but – because we were coming to the table with the research and the assets of, you know, we really didn't have to pay to license all of this material because it is in the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. And so yeah. this is a state agency and this is for the people and, of Mississippi. And,
1: and, I, and I will say this, the, probably the best thing about the state of Mississippi is that if you're a citizen of the state of Mississippi, you are can go to the archives and pull anything from the archives for free yeah, and do whatever you want to do with it. As long as you're a citizen of the state of Pacific, it's probably like the coolest thing. I was like, oh, that was actually pretty cool, you know, because mm-hmm. other states don't really work like that. So, also kind of interesting too. But,
0: yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. I remember one of my favorite moments. I was sitting in the archives and history and at a book signing next to William Winter, beneath a building. I mean, beneath a portrait of William Winter in a building named after William Winter. Yeah. Like, well, I was, you don't get that every day. That was quite fast, but, but you're right. It is nice to have the resource. And the fact that, you know, the two museums is right down the street. Uh, you got the Civil Rights Museum, which actually tells our story very honestly and very openly and very powerfully. Mm-hmm. And, and And like I said, you get a documentary like this now, thank you, that not only tells a story that's difficult to hear maybe – but it's not difficult to hear because it's all about humanity and it really does help you contextualize what you've been reading in history for the last forever in your life so mm-hmm. it it's really well done
2: and we show this film um at the two mississippi museums when when it when we can in yeah. fact uh, in january during the martin luther king Weekend, uh, We had a showing of the documentary. And the judges participated in the fundraising for the two Mississippi museums and really believed in that project. But they took a look after going through the whole thing, and they said, what about Jess Brown, Jack Young, and Carsey Hall? And they're in the museum, but they wanted a story, uh, an independent story oh, wow. It's of its yeah. own. Mm-hmm. And so they said, well, we, we're going to do a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, That's
3: so. cool.
0: yeah, That's, That's very cool. That's great. So the airings, like I said, they're going to be this Friday, February seventeenth at seven thirty. It'll be on again on Sunday, February nineteenth at eleven a.m. and at four thirty p.m. and Thursday at February twenty third at two p.m. So it'll be it'll be on several times so people can catch it. I highly recommend it. Like I said, I love history, uh, love the state's history, and it is it's very powerfully done. And Red, you did just just a fantastic Rod, oh, excuse me, Red. Sorry your last name. You can call me Ramsey. That's fine. That's that happens this point in the show, yeah. you know, at this point. The host has run out of gas, and he's, like, completely starting to jab, jabber a little bit. Uh, talk a little bit about your future projects. What are y'all working on now?
1: Man, you know, got a lot of future projects in the work. So, actually, right after this documentary, we got to work on a, a completed project for uh, about Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Oh, cool. Uh, so, it's about the story of Mount Bayou. It's called Promised Land. Yeah. And so, actually, there's a screening for that this week on Thursday in Indianola, our last screening as a part of a grant uh, for that project. And so we're really excited about that one. But there's another documentary I'm starting on that I'm just starting to get in the weeds about um, that, is spe- that is specific to the um, uh, Jackson. And that deals a little bit with the water crisis and leadership and the state. And so we're still trying to, you know, fundraise for that, but also figure out the story and the direction of that one as well because that's going to be be our next really, really big one. We really want to
0: get behind that one. Yeah, good luck when you figure it all out because I've (laughs) I've looked back at my cartoons I've done on it I'm just like, oh, Yeah, there's so many different directions. This just makes my hair hurt. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the whole thing. I might have to get
1: the band back together to get them to help me
3: figure out the direction again. That'd
0: be great. Liz, you obviously said you're down in Houston now. Yes. You um, missed You wanted some place that was actually more humid than here. Very good. Congratulations. (laughs)
3: Um, I am, uh, what's next for me is I'm hopefully going to be continuing um, my journey in just storytelling in Mississippi, yeah. finding more opportunities to amplify Mississippi voices and create mo- both creative and educational pieces that reflect um, our stories. So yeah. just, you
2: know. Okay, throwing that out there. Putting that
3: out there okay. in, the, in the air. Yes,
2: sir. And We're working at the department on a lot of projects in the Natchez area and oh, in cool. Natchez. Oh, We are also uh, doing some research. There is a project to stabilize Windsor ruins and stabilize the columns. And so we're going to be when that project comes to a completion, we'll be doing some more interpretive work in that area. And because I'm from that part of the state, uh, it's uh, particularly meaningful to me to be doing the work at Historic Jefferson College and in Natchez.
0: I'm going to seriously have to touch base with you. I have... The two things I love drawing the most in the state are the state capitol and the ruins. Love it. I painted it several times. It's just, it's great. So I've always been fascinated by how something so mighty can now, you know, well, it, which actually, in a way, I think it's probably cooler now than it probably would be if it were still a house.
2: Well, and, and the science behind the stabilization is really fascinating, too. They're having to take apart the capitals and they're into some like 80 pieces and trying really? to make sure that they get out all of the material that would promote plant growth and the kinds of things that make yeah, the thing busting deteriorate. Apart the right? They're coming yeah. apart. And, yeah. But um, it's really fascinating, the project that they've got going on
0: oh that's incredible And I've always loved too that Mark Twain could see it from the river and it doesn't seem to be anywhere near the river now it's just that it tells you a lot about the river as well fantastic like I said the um, gosh I'm so glad y'all y'all are here today I'm and to be able to put this together any last thoughts on 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 what y'all took away from this it's something that like I said you know Roger you're, you're in your mid thirties. You you know, Liz, you're you're younger. Like I said, you studied this stuff. Now you actually get to talk to the people that lived it in a little bit. And and so it kinda probably changes you as storytellers, doesn't it?
1: Definitely. I mean I kinda had a direction of where I wanted to go in life yeah. when I started my company. But um stories like this, like you just talking about it right now, really gets me excited about making the next story about Mississippi. Yeah. And my goal is to Really, not, you know, not only just, you know, showcase, it's to showcase Mississippi and, yeah. and all the beautiful stuff that comes with it. Yeah. And also the, uh, you know, the bad stuff that comes with it, honestly. You know, I think because, you know, the reason why we have such, you know, rich history in terms of music and writings and things like that is because of our kind of tortured history. I've done yeah, terrible. You know, that's that's the way that kind of works in my head. I think at least. So, I,
0: I think you're spot on. My my metaphor for it is that that little grit that gets in the oyster makes the most beautiful pearls, mm-hmm. and that's 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 Mississippi out. right exactly.
1: there. Exactly. And I want to, I want to make sure that people uh, get to know all sides of Mississippi. Yeah, I got cousins that are that are ancestrally from mm-hmm. here. That would not come here for a family reunion. Really? Yeah, which is kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, so those are my silly cousins. But, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah. And 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 then I also when I go to places like Washington D.C. and showcase this place, I get treated like I'm a civil rights hero because I still live here. it <laughs> for real, And, and it is like, whoa, you're in Mississippi doing. Thank you for the work. And I'm like, well, I mean, thanks, but it's not. I'm not. <laughs> it's not that bad. And you know, it's like it's fine. Yeah. We have internet and coffee and you know, it's <laughs> fine.
3: Um I think to Roderick's point, just this kind of reinforced the importance of the storytelling of Mississippi. I've always been a proud Mississippian. Um always wanted to amplify and champion those working for Mississippi to change it in a positive way. And I think there's so much beauty in Mississippi and the black people of Mississippi mm-hmm. um, just continuously fighting against the erasure of an entire segment of this state that um, is often done both in a political way, but just in so many ways, how Uh, The silencing Mm -hmm. and the erasure of our history and our presence in this state is continuously pushed. I think it is really important to make sure we're telling these stories. We're amplifying each other's voices. We're, you know, advocating for each other. And I just want to continue to be a part of that type of work.
0: All right. All right. Well, I tell you what, that wraps us up. Um, Absolutely fantastic show as well. I want to thank everybody for being here, and I want to thank – oh, man, it's incredible. I want to thank uh, our guests, Roderick Redd, Liz Evans, and Sarah Campbell for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.